Part one, chapter nine of Quo Vadis, a tale of the time of Nero. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Quo Vadis by Henrik Sienkiewicz, translated by Benyamin Malevsky. Part one, chapter nine. Lygia sorrowed deeply to part from Pomponia Graecina, whom she loved with her whole heart, and also from the household of Aulus. Yet her grief was short-lived. She took a certain pleasure in the very thought that she was sacrificing plenty and comfort for the truth, that she was about to expose herself to hardships and uncertainties. Blended with this feeling was, perhaps, an alloy of childish curiosity as to what life was like in remote regions among barbarians and wild beasts but for the most part she was inspired by deep and earnest faith she was convinced that she was following the behests of the divine master and that henceforward he would watch over her as an obedient and faithful child and if so what harm could befall her should sufferings come she would bear them for his sake should death overtake her he would receive her when pomponia died they would be reunited forever many a time in the house of aulus she had worried her childish brain with the thoughts that she a christian had made no sacrifices for the crucified one of whom ursus spoke so tenderly now the time had come to realize her fancies lygia felt really happy and strove to tell actia of her joy but the young grecian could not understand her to leave everything behind to abandon home plenty the city gardens temples porticoes all that was beautiful to leave a sunny land and the loved ones therein and for what purpose to run away from the love of a young and handsome nobleman actia's mind could not comprehend this there were times when she scented some concealed purpose in her actions mayhap some great mysterious happiness but the matter was not at all clear in her mind especially as dangers threatened lygia which might destroy her life Actia was naturally timid, and she thought with dread of what the future might have in store. But she wished not to trouble Lygia with her fears. As the day was clear and the sun shone into the hall, she began to coax the maiden to rest after her sleepless night. Lygia agreed, and they entered a spacious bedchamber, whose luxurious furniture was a reminder of Actia's former relations with Caesar. Here they lay side by side, but Actia, despite her weariness, could not sleep. She had long been unhappy, but now she was possessed by a new uneasiness. Previously existence had seemed to her merely sad and hopeless. Now it appeared to her shameful. She became more and more confused in mind. The door that revealed light was now open and now closed, but even when it opened her eyes, unused to the light, were dazzled, and she could distinguish nothing clearly. She divined that in the light there was unbounded happiness, compared with which all else was of small value, so that even if Caesar, for example, should set aside Poppaea and again love her, Actia, this would not now bring her unalloyed happiness. Then the thought struck her that Caesar, whom she loved and regarded as a demigod, was in reality no better than any slave, and his palace, with its columns of Numidian marble, no better than a heap of stones. Thoughts such as these, which she could scarce comprehend, began to torment her. She desired to sleep, but tormented by doubts, she could not close her eyes. Then, thinking that Lygia, threatened by so many uncertainties and perils, could not sleep either, she turned to speak to her of her flight which was to take place in the evening. But Lygia was sleeping peacefully. 
into the darkened room through a curtain not entirely drawn stole some bright rays in which floated golden dust motes by the light of these rays actea looked upon lygia's delicate face resting on her bare arm her closed eyes and her lips slightly parted she was breathing regularly as people breathe when sleeping she sleeps she is able to sleep thought actea she is still a child nevertheless it was borne into her that this child preferred to flee rather than to become the favorite of vinitius that she preferred want to infamy wandering to a luxurious house to robes beautiful ornaments feasts the music of lutes and cytheras why actea looked more closely at lygia as if to read an answer in her sleeping face she looked at her beautiful forehead at her arched eyebrows at her dark lashes her parted lips at her heaving bosom and she thought how different she is from me lygia appeared a miracle to her as some divine vision a creation of the gods a hundredfold more beautiful than all the flowers in caesar's garden and all the statues in his palace but in the grecian's heart there was no envy on the contrary at the thought of the dangers that threatened the maiden she melted into pity a mother's love was awakened in her lygia appeared to her not only as beautiful as a dream but as very dear to her heart pressing her lips to the dark hair she rained kisses upon it but lygia slept on calmly as if at her own home under the care of pomponia and she slept long it was past noon when she opened her blue eyes and began to look with astonishment about the bedchamber evidently she was surprised that she was not in the house of aulus is it thee actea she said at last seeing in the darkness the face of the grecian yes lygia is it evening no my child but noon has passed has not ursus returned ursus did not promise to return he said that he would watch with the christians for the litter true they left the bedroom and went to the bath where actea bathed lygia then they breakfasted together and the grecian conducted lygia to the gardens of the palace there being no danger as caesar and his guests were still asleep for the first time in her life lygia beheld these beautiful gardens full of cypresses pines oak olive and myrtle trees amid which arose a veritable population of white motionless statues mirror-like streams gleamed brightly groves of roses were in bloom sprinkled with the spray of fountains entrances to picturesque grottoes were overgrown with ivy and vines silver-colored swans floated on the waters amid statues and trees wandered gazelles from the deserts of africa and bright-plumed birds from all the known regions of the world the gardens were empty save that here and there slaves were digging and chanting in undertones and others enjoying a recess were sitting on the banks of the streams or beneath the shade of oaks in the quivering light that broke in between the leaves and others again were watering the roses or the pale lily-colored crocus blossoms actea and lygia walked for some time taking in all the wonders of the garden and though the mind of lygia was disturbed with other thoughts she was too much of a child to resist the pleasure curiosity and wonder raised by the scene she thought that if caesar were only good he might live very happily in such a palace and such gardens somewhat tired at length the two friends sat down on a bench almost hidden by cypresses and talked of what weighed most on their minds lygia's flight in the evening Actea was far less hopeful of success than Lygia. At times it seemed to her a wild and impossible project. 
her pity for lygia increased it seemed to her that it would be much safer to appeal to the mercy of vinitius she questioned lygia as to how long she had known vinitius and whether he could not be persuaded to return her to pomponia but lygia shook her head no she said in the house of aulus he was very different he was kind but since last night's feast i fear him and i prefer to flee to the lygians but inquired actea thou didst like him in the house of aulus yes answered lygia hanging her head thou wert not a slave as i was said actea meditatively vinitius might marry thee thou art a hostage and the daughter of a king aulus and pomponia loved thee as their own child they will without doubt adopt thee vinitius may marry thee but lygia answered in a low sad voice i would rather fly to the lygians dost thou wish me to go to vinitius awaken him if he sleeps and tell him what i have just told thee hearken my dear i will go to him and say vinitius lygia is the daughter of a king and a beloved child of aulus if thou lovest her return her to the house of aulus and from that house take her as a wife but the maiden repeated in a voice so low that actio could scarcely hear it i would rather fly to the lygians further conversation was interrupted by the sound of approaching footsteps before actea could see who was coming poppaea sabina made her appearance with a small retinue of women slaves two of them held over her head bunches of ostrich feathers fastened to golden wires these served both as fans and as a protection against the sun before poppaea an egyptian woman black as ebony with breasts swollen from milk bore in her arms a child wrapped in purple fringed with golden embroidery Actia and Lygia rose. They had expected that Poppaea would pass without paying any attention to them, but she stopped in front of them and said, Actia, the bells sewn by thee on the doll were poorly fastened, and the child tore one of them off and put it into her mouth. Fortunately Lilith noticed it in season. Pardon me, O divine one, answered Actia, crossing her hands on her breast and bowing her head. Poppaea gazed at Lygia and inquired, What slave is this? she is no slave o divine augusta but a foster child of pomponia graecina and the daughter of a lygian king whom he surrendered as a hostage to rome has she come to visit thee no augusta since day before yesterday she has been staying in the palace was she at the banquet last night she was augusta at whose command at caesar's command poppaea gazed more attentively at lygia the maiden stood with bowed head raising her bright eyes to her with curiosity and now dropping them again a frown appeared on the brow of augusta jealously guarding her beauty and power she lived in constant dread lest some fortunate rival might destroy her as she had destroyed octavia therefore every beautiful face that appeared in the palace excited her suspicion with a critical eye poppaea scrutinized lygia's form took in every feature at a glance and became frightened she is a nymph thought she and venus herself must have given her birth suddenly a new thought came to her which never before had occurred to her mind at the sight of a beautiful woman the thought that she herself was growing old wounded vanity and alarm seized poppaea many fears flashed through her mind what might happen if caesar met this maiden during the daytime in the sunlight she was not a slave but the daughter of a king a barbarian it is true but still a king immortal gods she is as beautiful as i and younger the frown on her brow deepened beneath their golden lashes her eyes shone with an evil light turning to lygia she asked in a calm voice hast thou spoken with caesar no augusta 
why dost thou prefer to be here rather than in the house of aulus it is not my choice lady petronius induced caesar to take me from pomponia i am here against my will dost thou wish to return to pomponia this question poppaea asked in a softer and milder voice and lygia's heart bounded with a new hope lady she said stretching out her hand caesar promised to give me to vinitius as a slave pray intercede for me and return me to pomponia then it was petronius who induced caesar to take thee from aulus and give thee to vinitius yes lady vinitius will send for me to-day but thou art kind have pity on me she knelt and seizing the border of poppaea's robe awaited an answer with a beating heart poppaea looked at her a moment her face lit up with a malicious smile i promise she said that thou to-day wilt become the slave of vinitius then she went her way fair as a dream but evil to the ears of lygia and actia came only the wail of the infant who began to cry without any apparent reason lygia's eyes also dimmed with tears but she took actia's hand and said let us return help is to be hoped for only from whence it can come they returned to actia's apartments where they remained until evening when darkness fell and the slaves brought in lighted torches the faces of both women were pale at every moment their conversation was interrupted they both listened to hear if any one were approaching lygia said repeatedly that though grieved to part with actia she preferred that all should end to-day for ursus without doubt was waiting for her in the darkness her breathing grew quicker from emotion and alarm actia hurriedly collected all the gems she could find and fastening them in a corner of lygia's robe begged her to accept these gifts as an aid to escape at times there fell a deep silence interrupted by deceptive sounds it seemed to both that at one time there was a noise behind the curtain then again the distant cry of an infant arose and now they seemed to hear the barking of dogs suddenly the curtain of the antechamber was thrust aside a tall dark man his face pitted with smallpox glided like a phantom into the chamber lygia at the first glance recognized atacinus one of vinitius's freedmen whom she had seen at the house of aulus actia screamed atacinus bowed his head and said vinitius greets the divine lygia and bids her to come to a feast in his house which he has adorned with green the lips of the maiden grew white i go said she then in farewell she threw herself into the arms of actia end of part one chapter nine